Welcome back, friends, to episode 18 of the Gaming with Sidekicks podcast. This is Isaac, along with my co-host, the trio here of the four of us, JT and Stuart. Gentlemen, how is it going tonight? It's going pretty Can't good. Can you complain? Yeah. Doing them all? Excellent. I love that we're starting strong with talking over the top of each other. Indeed. <laughs> I just I'll, And we're back! I'll peace out, guys. It's no problem. <laughs> Uh, so uh, we wanted to, to get this show back on the road, um, like getting back, picking up for episode 18. Last time we were doing any type of recording uh, was actually JT and I uh, coming back from PAX, uh, our last... Literally on the road. Yeah, literally on the road, our last game convention and possibly... Uh, last ever. Last game, yeah, last <laughs> game convention. So uh, we had a chance to do that. That's been a while, but uh, we wanted to start fresh. We've got a little different format that we're going to try. We're going to keep these a little tight on time and um, put some focus on one game in general. We're going to get to that game in just a minute. However, before we jump into that, I wanted to start with a quick, what game have you most recently played that you liked and why? What'd you like about it? What what kind of opened you up to, uh, to say, hey, this is a game I really enjoy. So, uh, Stuart, if you want to start, why don't you go ahead? Uh, yeah, uh, Rachel and I have, been, have gotten a couple games of Tapestry in lately, uh, both with uh, y'all and both... Uh, with just me and her while the uh, kids are taking their naps on the weekends. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed it. I, it's fun, you know, every time it's just very different. I like getting, you know, civilizations that I haven't played before and seeing what those tapestry cards are and just see what direction it takes. It's fun to not have anything predetermined and just let the game come to you. So I've, I've enjoyed playing that. And I got the cool little 3D printed bases now, so I actually know where the how to set the game up. Oh, man, that's <laughs> I'm so... I'm guessing which, <laughs> which so buildings important. go where. <laughs> we we printed those up here during our, our excessive 3D printing of this this uh, season that we've been home, and, man, that makes it so much quicker. I don't like that they oh, yeah. sit in the box as well. I just toss the insert and probably Me make too. something else. But, um, yeah, I, that it sets it up so much faster. Yep. JT, how about yourself, sir? Uh, I played a lot of games recently that are really, really good. Um, but probably my favorite of them is Tricarian um, by Mind Clash Games. That one is uh, racing up uh, my own personal favorites list as a, uh, a just a top top level uh, worker placement game. There's a little element of programming to it. Um, you know, the theme is very cool. Everyone's a different musician trying to learn different tricks and, uh, you know, go collect all the things you need for that trick. Um, hire assistants, set the trick up, perform it. And, and um, you know, with the newest expansion, uh, you can either retire a trick and teach it to earn uh, ongoing points or um, just some other neat things that, that the game brings to it. But... Um, Really, just love the tension that it that it has uh, with uh, with using different workers different ways and and programming where they're going to go and then uh, there's just just a lot of back and forth um, with that one. So the theme, the uh, how tight all the mechanics are, um, I really like that one a lot. That's awesome, and uh, that's that's one. Who who are you playing it with? Um, there's a. Uh, well, Stuart eventually, because uh, Stuart's got it, we can set it up and play it over Hangouts. Uh, we just haven't pulled the trigger there. Uh, there's there's one person here locally that I've been able to play it with um, a couple times recently. Uh, just, you know, uh, 
over hangouts, get get it all set up and, and go. Um, it, it took a while for me to actually get that one to the table. It had been on the shelf of opportunity for, for quite some time. Just, um, you know, finding, finding time to dive in and, and learn a new deep one like that um, without someone uh, who could teach it is sometimes a challenge. But uh, uh, muddled through our first play and played it a few times since then, and every time it just it, it picks up more. There's more depth, and you kind of see further and further ahead what you need to be trying to do, what you need to be trying to do uh, to, to be successful. So um, very cool. There it winds up being a little bit of an engine to it for, for points, and that just um, really just ramps up real hard at the end. So like that one a lot. Perfect. Yeah, I've I've only heard good things from you and from from some of the things I, I've seen that online a little bit about uh, bringing bringing that up. Before I jump into mine, that's a good good topic um, for for hangout play, um, Zoom play, hangouts, you know, whatever you're using. I think we've all had a chance to play some of those games. Um, I wrote an article here on the site not too long ago, kind of talking about what what was best for hangout play, right? Like what what works, what doesn't work. Um, Stuart, you and I have had a chance to play um, some games. Uh, what what have you found that works works really well in in that? Format? Yeah, I've played with you. I've played with a couple of people, JT, and basically anything without hidden information or with a large draw deck uh, works really really well. Um, even if there's a big board. Uh, you know, I, I'm just so such a tactile person. I love the tactile nature of board games. And so, you know, there's some couple games that I'll play on apps and everything, but I just love having the pieces to manipulate. Um, so, you know, anything that doesn't have um, hidden information, like I said, or where you're blindly drawing stuff. Um, so Catan is kind of hard, you know, because you've got, uh, you know, a draw deck you can still do it it's not a big deal if you're both drawing from decks uh but you know we even played uh, dominion a couple weeks ago and it's a perfect game for that because there's set amounts you just announce which cards you're buying from and you're drawing from and each side you know whether it's us or it's you in ohio uh you just remove that card from your deck and and you go and yeah there's some maintenance that you have to do and you know you'll maybe miss a turn here miss a turn there or hey that deck's gone and oh i had one left you know, so of course there's little little things that you're going to do there, but um, you know the upkeep is worth it and it keeps everybody engaged. Uh, so you know, I, I think a lot more games than people think can be played over video chat. Yeah, and the the roll and rights and and some of that are are an easy you know, thing to say, oh, these work fine. And, and, you know, those are pretty standard where you're, where you're rolling some dice, pulling some shapes, drawing some, some cards. Uh, but yeah, Dominion worked pretty well when we did it. We did, I think we went big on the first mm-hmm. game we played. We played, uh, Orleans and, um, yeah. there was definitely a lot of upkeep, but it, I mean, it worked, it flowed. Uh, there was only a few times where we were like, wait a second, that's not on the map. Oh, oh. And, and we definitely, yeah. Well, and we definitely had like way too much silk in the pile by the end. Susan's <laughs> like, "All right, Stuart had way too much silk." <laughs> so yeah. there is definitely. With and I think we, you know, JT and I, we played like tapestry. That, I think you played yeah, tapestry once well. or twice as well. And um, you know, one side has all the tiles, and then the um, and we'll draw them and just show you. And then the other players, you know, or the other teams that are playing the game have to just have all the tiles sorted. And it's like, oh, I drew the, you know, the 
island with the mountains and the you know that's mountains on a little island with the brown house and you just find that tile and you grab it you know or someone you know and the other one team has all the the tech cards and everything and you just go you know so there's, there's some sorting and there's some categorizing that you have to do but i think it's worth it that's awesome yeah, I recently played uh, Scoville uh, a couple times with a buddy over um, Hangouts. And um, even though you got a couple decks in that, like we just had all the decks on the one side, uh, made sure that those were in clear view on the camera, and, and I just managed those on, on my end. And then when he was planting peppers, uh, you know, he said, uh, east of the brown and south of the green, right? And you just kind of find that spot on the board and, and put the purple pepper in there, and, and you're good to go. And with the labs, uh, you know, I just numbered them one to nine. He said, okay, I'm going to plant a green pepper in my number three, you know, whatever it was. And, um, <clears throat> and since, uh, you know, your personal supply and, and the amount of money you have is all hidden information. I didn't worry about tracking any of that. I, you know, didn't have to think about any of that when we're ready to bid, we just hold our hands in front of the cameras and open our hands to show how many coins we bid. Um, so there's lots of different things you can do. Uh, I definitely think the Euros with fewer decks are better, but if the decks are public information, like if you're revealing public things, especially like the tap, the um, uh, invention cards um, in, uh, in in Tapestry, like that's so easy to manage. So easy. I'm just waiting for, you know, month six of quarantine, you know, wave two of this. So, and then we're just getting to the point where it's like, yep, we're doing Captain Sonar. Ring it up. <laughs> Uh, there's yeah some of the party games could could work and i mean we've been doing jackbox for the the party thing but i mean even that i don't know how much jackbox you guys have done but even that gets to be where it's like okay we've done this one over and over like you know there's it's fun but there's also that extent where it's like eh, it's probably more fun people are sitting in the room like most of these things would (laughs) would be so um I'll add my my most recently played um, game that that I really enjoyed actually kind of goes uh, along with this. Um, unfortunately, unlike your games, not something you can buy. But uh, I've gotten into Tabletop Simulator quite a bit here recently and been helping um, my friend Derek playtest a game that hopefully we'll see a release um, in 2020 here, depending on how the rest of the year shakes out. But um, it's gonna be a um, it's a kind of a middle uh, kind of midweight Euro worker placement game uh, that he's designed called fate of the west and um, he's been hyping this game for a little bit it's fun it's it's worker placement there's there's bullets you're you're you know you're placing your workers in, in certain areas to to get achievements and create a loadout for resources but you're also trying to go up all these random uh, not, not random assorted tracks that kind of has that tapestry feel where there's all sorts of different things you can be trying to like race people up um, the bullet parts actually one of my favorite parts is you're as you go to try and replace somebody you're actually you know there's there's that like kind of very thematic mechanic of of the wild west so um, should be fun one I'm looking forward to to seeing how it how it plays out so uh, tabletop simulator is I've explored that a little more and I'm assuming some of the other ones out there as well just have some really good options for for games um, and ports that people have made that just look amazing uh, very well done Um, so one of the games that, that we, uh, all of us, the three of us, have had a chance to uh, play on 
um, this Zoom or, or online play is actually our, our game of the, the week here, the game of this podcast we're going to be talking about. And uh, that game is Endeavor Age of Sail. Endeavor <coughs> Age of Sail has uh, been a game that I was first introduced to during our long weekend in Texas uh, when JT and myself uh, traveled down to see Stuart and we just played games and played games and played games, like to the point where, like, we just played games <laughs> and uh, we got i don't remember what our count was it was it was a pretty high amount uh do you guys uh, remember the top of your yeah head? and they were not like five minute games <laughs> yeah, and they were not yeah the the lightest game we played was I yeah think, i think uh, that's fair fantastic factories maybe yeah or cover your kingdom maybe yeah but I mean, but most of them were definitely they had some weight, and and the good thing was most of us, every game, one of us knew how to play, and this was Endeavor was one that I was had been interested in, and after I played it, I was like, oh, I I definitely you know feel good about backing the expansion for this, and Endeavor was originally released in 2018. Uh, it's designed by Jarrett Gray, Carl Deviser, uh, artists are Josh Kaplan and Noah. Alderman. This is a kind of a re-implementation. Burn Island Games and Grand Gamers Guild have put this out, and it was originally a 2009 game, I believe. Um, Sounds right. Yeah, and was kind of like reintroduced um, to the general public. And I think amongst the three of us, if, I, if I'm not mistaken here, JT, you were the the one that went in on the original Kickstarter, correct? Yeah, uh, I found it. It looks beautiful. I didn't really do my homework. I just backed it. Um, <laughs> I've I've done that a couple times and fortunately haven't been bitten but this was uh just tremendous you know when I when I got it I opened it up and I was you know wide-eyed at, at the production quality and uh even more wide-eyed once I got to to play it a few times so just to give people a general if you don't know what Endeavor is I'm, I'm taking this right off of um the Board Game Geek website and Endeavor it's players are striving to earn glory uh, you're sailing out all over Europe and the Mediterranean. It takes place during this age of sail. It takes place between um, in the 1500s up to the 1800s. Uh, you're sailing from Europe out into the Mediterranean, going to all these different countries, establishing shipping routes, occupying cities. And as you do so, you're leveraging and growing in uh, different areas in your industry and your wealth, your influence, your culture, and ultimately your glory, which are going to be your influence or victory points that you're trying to win the game with. Um, the game, like JT said, has some amazing production quality. Um, this was the second edition that added some aspects to that. Also, very recently, they added an expansion. They called Endeavor Age of Expansion, allowing players to kind of take some of the things they loved about the game and explore it with new mechanisms and new aspects. So um, looking at, at this game, let's let's just kind of start. You know, JT, you kind of mentioned what you said. Stuart, when, when did you get a hold of this and kind of what were those first impressions for you yeah uh, jt as usual jt says hey i love this game you should buy it and i usually do uh so <laughs> he said hey go find this game i was like okay and uh i ended up buying it off of, uh the bgg market uh the kickstarter deluxe edition and uh i got it i think you know december of 18 uh but we were in the middle of moving and you know didn't have a house for six months and <laughs> so it was kind of crazy and Rachel was pregnant so I actually didn't get it open for quite some time uh but yeah same first impressions the production quality is amazing um and just the the sandbox nature of it you know 
just it can go any direction um and there's just so much to explore in the game i've probably paid played it you know close to a dozen times now um in different settings for you know two through five players and it's never the same uh that's the cool nature of it because it has so many different elements it's worker placement it's drafting it's area control there's just so many different um you know it's it's so fine-tuned that you can't play a game that's going to be the same. Yeah, one of the things for me that really stands out with this game and, and kind of was an immediate, like I'm going to back this when we played it in Texas uh, for the first time, was uh, my my wife likes deep games. She likes heavy games she'll play early on. She loves it. She, you know, there's there's a genties. She loves it. Like, But there's a, there's a level of heavy game where there's too much going on on the table and she has no interest in it. You know, a game like, um, and, I'll, and I'll use very, um, even, and I'm not going to ask these gentlemen to comment on it, but a game like Flotilla um, <laughs> has, a, has a lot going on on the table <laughs> to the point where I wouldn't even introduce that game to her because there's, there's almost too much. You're trying to do this and this and this and this and this, and it doesn't, like at times it's fun, but it doesn't like gel well. Whereas Endeavor, like it's an easy explanation. Like it's an easy setup, easy explanation, but there's so much depth to the game once you get going into it. And that like that's that's the sweet spot, right? Is a game that that is easy to teach, easy to learn. But like Stuart said, you keep playing it over and over and you're like, oh, my gosh, like there's so much I can do here and, and so much I'm missing Um you know, I played it tonight, uh, taught my son how to play with my wife, and there were little things in it that I was like, oh, I just never even thought of that. Like, that's that's great. That's an aspect or um, something I need to take and consider next time I play it. Yeah, absolutely. And what's cool, too, is, you know, even if you don't, if, if you get your hands just on the base game, um, it comes with, I think, what, two or three, um, like one big expansion just in it. And then two or three little mini ones or micro expansions. And the same thing with the most recent Kickstarter with the uh, Age of Expansion. It's an expansion itself. It has all new building tiles, but it also has, I think, three different mini or micro expansions that you can add on at any point. Um, well, not any point. You can add them at the beginning. But that just changes the scenarios just slightly <laughs> that you really have to rethink how you want to approach right. things. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the big change from the original publication to the Kickstarter in uh, 2018 was the exploits, um, and <clears throat> what they do is they add a new way to use all of the actions. So every round you're going to be building a building into your harbor, into your tableau of available actions, and there are mm, four or five main actions uh, in the base game that you can do. Uh, you can ship somewhere, you can occupy a city, you can uh, attack someone else, you can uh, draw a card, you can do a number of different things. But um, all of these exploits, as long as different regions of the world open up, there's enough uh, shipping uh, activity in one of those regions, uh, well, two of those regions, as long as these two different regions open up, and you have presence in both, that gives you access to change how your actions work. And, and then you can take the same, use the same building, activate the same building, and do something totally different. Um, and so as you're building this engine, as you, as, as you kind of 
expand your tableau through the first few rounds and, and, and things are just starting to pick up, the game ends at the end of the seventh round. So there's there's a very limited opportunity to, to really maximize that, which is just perfect, the perfect way to end a game in my mind. Like, my engine is just going, I just needed that one more little, one, just, just I just barely missed it, right? Like that, that tension of feeling... Man, I was so close to, to that thing. I did so much, but I wanted just, just a little bit more. That tension is perfect for me in a game like this. And, um, and, and, and there's plenty of it to go around without the exploits. But when you add them, man, uh, they just it, they push it right over the top. That, that tension gets even uh, tighter, and it, and it rides that, that razor's edge so perfectly. Um, there's, there's just so much depth like in the base game and then when you can change those actions and do something different too um it it really takes it and and makes it an 11. and the exploits are are part of the original game yeah the first kickstarter okay so that's and that's and that's kind of speaks to what Stuart was talking about like that's just a great like you can play the base game without the exploits and have a really good time right but then you just can say oh let's let's really turn this up to 11 and it adds so much more yeah and there's what like 15 exploit cards and you play with three of them each time right or something like that yeah yeah and and each one uh kind of relates to different eras of the age of sail and how the two regions in question uh, interacted in that time. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's there's some historical context to these, and, and uh, I, I don't want to get into the weeds in that regard, but um, what what is done in the design is it allows you to take maybe the shipping actions that are no longer as useful late in the game as they were early in the game, uh, and now do something totally different with them to score points. Or uh, the attack actions that no one else was collecting during the game. I had two, and, and now I can use them every round for these last two rounds to do something wildly different. And, um, uh, uh, you know, there's just uh, there's pirates and there's explorers and there's all kinds of different things that, that uh, uh, tie into this and different trade routes and the spice trade and this and that. And it just... it. It, it's phenomenal in in how it um, just engages your mind to think about different ways to do things and the timing of actions and uh, and, and one of the, the coolest things about this game is how focused I can be on what I am doing and and you know I, I may not have any clue what Isaac is trying to do but on my turn I have to to look and see oh man he might go there. Uh, do I want to do this first, or if I don't, boy, Stewart's going to take this other opportunity away from me. Uh, you know, so I, I can be lost as to what you guys are trying to accomplish, and yet it's still pretty clear to me where you're going to try and position yourself. So I may not have memorized all of the buildings that you've built. I may not be fully aware of all of the workers you have left to use, but the game is so perfectly intertwined between players that I generally speaking will have an idea of, man, I, I really need to focus on trying to get this done first because if I don't, it won't be around the next time my turn comes. Yeah, it's, that's awesome. That's a, that's a great way to describe the, the thing that I think makes a game like this shine is that the player interaction is meaningful and very consistent through the game, right? Like it's, it, it, 
when we played tonight, Susan and uh, my wife, Susan and I, and, and my son, there was a couple of times where like she jumped an area and I, I just wasn't paying attention. And she jumped in, took over an area with an Occupy and, and a ship. And I was like, Oh, you've got to be kidding me. I was going to do that my next turn. And I did it to her like the next round. Like it was, it was perfect. There's just this, like this struggle and tug of war right on timing. And like you said, you know, you may not have a clue what, whatever other players doing. Sometimes the players you're playing with, who haven't played this game for six months, they don't have a clue what they're doing either, um, but they still do well, i.e. me, when we play. <laughs> I'm not laughing. But, uh, but to jump on something <laughs> that JT said, uh, just with the, the historical nature of everything, you know, everything about this game is built on historical uh, events. All the exploits are real events that happen, and it's cool because on the exploit cards, they're they're the big they're big um, they're probably like you know six or eight inches wide you know sturdy cardboard, and it has the flavor text. It describes a historical event that this exploit is based off of. You know, on the little micro expansions, it it has flavor text as to why this action is allowing you to do something because it's relating to something that actually happened or a series of events. And you'll find those flavor texts in the rule book and in even on some of the cards everywhere. You know, everything is so deep in terms of uh, it's not just a oh this is a cool action let's throw that in there or this is a cool little thing we can do everything's based on real events and so from that standpoint it just adds a big huge cherry on top for me because it's really cool to learn a little bit about this stuff or say oh i remember learning about that or oh that's neat and that's why this is happening now it it just it, it really heightens the game experience for me at least for sure for sure um let's let's finish with the game talking a little bit about the expansions as, as far as the expansions and from what we've had a chance to explore, what what are the things that really shine for you in, in the uh, expansion aspect here? Well, let's talk about just some of the things that maybe are added and a little bit different. So if you've played the original game, you've got all the asset cards for every region. Well, the uh, Age of Expansion replaces all of those asset cards and gives you new ones. So you, you're replacing all of them except for the slavery cards. And it actually goes up to level six now on all of them with this little micro expansion, the Dominium micro expansion. So all of the cards that you could draw from are going to be different and some really wild abilities are added to all of them. Uh, the level six abilities in every region is 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 crazy. <laughs> it's fun just to read them all and to experience them the first time when you draw them. Uh, but what's neat is that the level one card on all of the regions now uh, give you some attributes, you know, um, some money or some bricks to build or some culture, but they also allow you to put a second card on that card, which frees up some more slots to have more attributes on your tableau. Um, that was one of the, the hard things playing the game uh, with just the base version is you're cycling through these cards and getting rid of some because you're getting better ones, but you're losing those attributes. Now you can hold so many more cards if you get those level one cards uh, really quickly in the different regions on the board. So that's one of the cool things that I really like is being able to really stack up a ton of cards on your tableau. Yeah, there's this natural in, in the base game and <clears throat> it's it's also true with how the, the expansion accelerates, but there's this natural compression of your ability to score points that happens at a certain point. There's a, there's a point of diminishing returns um, uh, in, in the game that that's where I find uh, some of the most tension in the late game is boy, you know, I, 
this is a difference of only one or two points, but that could be the difference in the whole game uh, because it, everything mm-hmm. just compresses down uh, at that point. And That's a great way to describe it, JT, is the compression of the points. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, you got this freedom and flexibility for your actions. You can just go bananas and draw all the cards you want, but at the end of every round, you you have uh, an attribute track that determines how many of them you that you can keep. Um, and, and when you've maxed that track out, um, gosh, there's, there's only room for five cards. I need, I need to keep six. There's only room for five. Uh, and, and so, uh, one of the things that happened in the, um, in the base game is, um, you know, you, you could feel that compression a little bit more, I think. Now in the uh, expansion, with those additional card slots, you don't feel that compression um, quite as early. You feel it um, around later, which is tough because everything else about this expansion accelerates the game. So you're, like, all of my scores playing with the expansion have been uh, significantly higher than my scores playing without the expansion. Um, But... The late game feels more confusing to me. I don't feel like I've uh, I've gotten to uh, any sort of proficiency in understanding what direction I should go, because I don't feel that compression until so much later, and it I think it it winds up being more significant to feel it later because when you feel it earlier, you can kind of make a a decision and lean in, and and steam full steam ahead towards this particular goal, but when you feel it later. Like, I may already be off the rails by the time that those decisions matter more. Um, and so you you have to start planning ahead more. Um, you know, the first time I played the expansion with Stuart, uh, I built my first building. And then we got to the action round and I thought, oh, I've already made a mistake. <laughs> I mean, you know, like there was just that, that action was not going to prove useful for, um, a couple rounds. And so, uh, I thought that the base game was tremendous and that the exploits cranked it up to 11. Um, age of expansion just dials up everything. Um, you, you know, to use a music analogy, if you were looking at the EQ, um, you know, on a bass amp, you want the EQ to smile a little bit. You want those lows to be bumped. You want some of the highs to be bumped and then leveled off. Uh, but this is just like someone put a ruler underneath all of the, the, um, knobs of the EQ and, and slid them up as far as they could just push everything up. And, uh, you know, it, it, it is a little bit challenging. I think, um, for someone who wants to play this game and, whip the tail off of everyone they play. I don't know who that would be, but me. Um, that would be you. <laughs> yeah, that's you. <laughs> it's a little bit challenging. It's always me. Let's be honest. Uh, it's a little bit challenging to like find the efficiencies when everything is trying to get my attention. You know, there's. it's not as easy to cut through the noise and see the most efficient path um, to points. And I like that because um, it winds up giving new or inexperienced or casual players that much more of an opportunity um to to do well and to win a game and you know it makes the game in my mind uh, a little bit more 
level, like it just levels the playing field. Um, that was one of the nice things about that compression that I talked about earlier. You know, I felt like uh, some friends and I, when we could have game nights and we get together and play this game, um, you know, I'm thinking of my one buddy, Garinger. Uh, we just always fight over who's going to have the turn two docks in the base game, right? Because turn two docks is like bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no clear-cut path for me now to, to start in the expansion. I just don't see it yet. So I, I agree uh, with that completely. Um, would you, I guess, uh, let me frame this right. What would you say for somebody who's a... a newer player to this game or they're considering picking it up like what's your like how do you dive into a game like this because it's fair to say this is a a game that you don't just kind of like you said go turn one turn two consistent with with what you do is there like a good way strategically to start with a game like this yeah so i would say um especially like the first time you're playing definitely play with the base set of buildings they're a little bit more straightforward um you're you're not even though you might be guessing because you don't know, your guessing happens a little bit easier. It, it's it, it's a little more direct. Um, yeah, there's less options with the base buildings and the actions. I think the options are there. I just think they're less complicated and they're more obvious. Yeah, they're more straightforward. Yeah. Um, so, but don't play with exploits the first game. Like, just let your mind get wrapped around. Uh, how the game picks up and accelerates through seven rounds. Then add exploits, right? And and just pick any three. It doesn't matter what three. But really read them before you start the game so that you know which actions to prioritize. And which actions to prioritize tells you which buildings to head for. And so you can kind of lay out, map out a plan. Well, you know, by round four or five, I'm going to want at least two ship actions or at least two occupy actions or at least, you know, maybe uh, one attack action, whatever it is. And I'm going to want to have presence in these two regions so that when this exploit opens up, I have access to it. Uh, That'll kind of give you uh, a guidepost to hit along the way towards the end and then when you uh play the expansion i would definitely not play with the exploits uh just learn the new buildings the first time maybe the first couple times um and and learn the new cards because those change everything there's like Stuart said the um really the only two constants um in the cards from the base game are the slavery cards which he mentioned but didn't uh, didn't talk about the other thing that's constant is that if you draw enough cards in Europe, you can abolish slavery, and then those cards uh, become negative points for yeah. whoever has them. So, um, uh, but those are the only two constants. Like there are the slavery cards are all the same, uh, and the um, uh, abolishment of slavery uh, happens at the same level. I think it's level five of Europe. Well, if you play with the sixes, it's six. Yeah. Is it six now? Yeah. Well, okay. But it still happens when you get to the bottom of the deck. Mm-hmm. So you, if you see someone kind of leaning hard on that strategy, you can be like, uh, well, you know what? I know exactly how to target that. And you can just lean hard on um, the Europe cards. So that's the progression I would take. Uh, you know, the nice thing about the game is it doesn't, it doesn't have to take long. Like, once people know it... I think it took us a little bit longer over Hangouts because we're 
you know, trying to look at each other's cameras and the boards were facing different directions and, and that wasn't always easy. But, um, you know, I, you can sit down and play this game, uh, three or four players, if everybody knows the game, in easily 75 minutes. Um, yeah, I think know, that's we've knocked out We've knocked out three-player games in under an hour. Um, you know, Two-player flies for this game. Oh, fl- oh yeah. super fast. Super and they're fast. always so close. Yeah, yeah, all of our games have been crazy. Close. Yeah, I, I, I've had, I've played a couple two-player games, and it's never been more than five points, and a couple of them have been one point. And I think you had the same experience, right, Isaac? You had one that was one point. Yeah, just, yeah, we had two. We've had two two-player games now between my wife and I. They've been one point each. Yeah, one. it's been super, super close. <laughs> I love that. And you don't know until the end because you can't really calculate all the points. I mean, it would take you forever to to count up the board. That's one of the other cool things. Yeah, yeah, you can't you can't really you can't really do that while yeah. you're going. There's, you can have an idea where someone is, and like, no one ever scores ninety nine or hundred points in this game, but ninety seven baby it happens. Ninety seven baby. <laughs> It happens. Well, let's talk about the two new actions that you find on the buildings in the expansion. So you've got the ship, you've got the occupy, you've got the attack, uh, you've got the the draw action. And in this one, now you'll find a trade action. And it's a level one building. And I think that's the building that um, that JT referenced that he's like, oh, I shouldn't have bought that first. Uh, but it, it does come in, a, in handy at the end, uh, the, probably you know rounds four through seven. But it allows you to trade one of the attribute uh, tokens that you've gotten off the board from either occupying or shipping uh, and trade it uh, with any other one on the, on the map. So you've got uh, a wealth coin token and you're like, ah, I'm already you know to track five. I don't need this anymore or I've, I've entered the next phase and I don't need that that one anymore i'm going to trade it for a blue token that gives me a free occupy but you just swap it and so it's super super helpful uh later in the game uh, especially if you're past like you know level 15 which you can only score up to 15 unless you get uh, a level six card uh that lets you score higher than that but we'll talk about that maybe later uh but it allows you to get ramp up get extra actions or just kind of equalize your attribute board to, to pump you into the next tier of everything that you may need uh, so really, really cool attribute. You get that on the bridge on level one, and then there's a um, a couple level five buildings that have it on there as well. Yeah, that that action lets you kind of pivot um, if if you need to, or um, you know one of the one of the great tensions about this this game is you're taking these actions to to ship to a region or to occupy a certain city. Is every time you do one of those two, you uh, collect. Um, uh, an attribute token that's going to move you up on attribute tracks. And these attribute tracks determine how big your engine gets. So uh, one determines what level of building you can build. One determines how many workers you get. One determines how many workers you can pay off of your buildings and open those back up the next round. And the last one determines how many cards you can hold at the end of a round. And and as Stuart mentioned, like maybe I'm already in the level 5 uh uh, bricks so I can build level five buildings and I've got an extra brick but man one more wealth lets me pay off all of my buildings uh, so that taking that action lets you kind of uh, push pull for your attribute tracks um, and uh, early in the game when you've only taken one action 
uh, not very helpful. <laughs> um, uh, but but as to it said, late in the game, boy, you could, that's a, one of the ways that you can help maximize your points. So yeah, you were just um, racking up the blue tokens in the game, the first game we played. Yeah, once I once I figured out that that was an option, uh, I I wound up stealing three or four right before you had a chance to get there and get them. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, you know, at the end of the game, then I was sitting on uh, a whole bunch of essentially free actions, mm-hmm. um, t- to take and, and, you know, a bunch of more draw, um, actions. And so all of the cards, uh, they're all face up, the piles are face up, but they're in order and you have to draw through them in order. Um, so if you really want the level six card, in Africa that lets you score beyond the base 15 <laughs> points for every track that you're on. Um, and you happen to have 22 bricks instead of 15, uh, but but only the level 3 card is showing, you have to draw four cards. That's four draw actions to get all the way down to the bottom to have that card uh, to give you that ability. So um, definitely more depth. Definitely dialed everything up in the um, in the age of expansion, and uh, I, I'm I'm a big fan. Yeah. And so the the next new action, the last one that you're going to see is uh, conscription and mobilization. And so basically, it grants you the ability to basically prime an action. So during your um, your growth phase, uh, when you gain your workers, you get to place a worker on that building as if you'd already played it. And so it's a free worker that you put on there. And there's a level three building and a level four building that have it. One allows you to ship and other allows you to either ship or attack. And so it, it gives you a bonus ability. So say, um, all right, I did this and I occupied. And then immediately before passing turn to the next player, you can activate your mobilization of your conscription card or building to take another action. And it has to be the one that's on there. So it allows me to occupy and ship or, you know, attack and ship. And so it just gives you that little bonus action edge uh, to put you in there. So say there's, you know, two spots left in a trade route or in a shipping lane and you can now double ship where you wouldn't have been able to do that without having a level five building. So it can allow you to open up regions, just do that little extra thing that you needed to and that you knew that someone else would get into. So say you were going to be able to tie someone in a, in a region and now you can beat them and get the governor card so just really really cool um it it makes the action cheaper as well um just adds another new little flair to the to the game uh that really again like jt has said we've all said it just kind of puts it over the top yeah absolutely just some like you said the, the the aspects of the um of the expansion just really give you new elements into the game that, that are familiar, right. But still give you uh, something new to explore and, and new to, uh, to really experience. Um, so I'm going to wrap up our, our discussion on the game here before I move to our last thing. Any, any last comments on the game? Uh, anything else you guys want to add in? I assume, is it fair to say this one gets our uh, stamp of approval? Oh yeah, yeah, certainly. It's, uh, it's definitely one of the best hits of 2018 for me, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, so what I wanted to, to finish with here is Endeavor is, as as we mentioned before, titled Endeavor Age of Sail. And uh, Stuart and JT both pointed out there's a lot of historical 
um, information on on the cards um, throughout the game, uh, the charter companies that come in as, as another mini expansion, just these these aspects that that add some realism and and there is um, there's a lot of, of sailing going on in this game. There's there's uh, the the shipping lanes, there's sails, uh, ships all over the board. So I thought, what better time than to really test your guys' knowledge of seagoing ships? So we're gonna have a little age of sail trivia questions. So we're going to have a few questions. I'm going to tally results. We'll see which one of you is the most ship shape uh, between, you know, between the two of you here. So here's the first question. A clipper, which is a type of boat, C-L-I-P-P-E-R, is either A, a long, fast ship with three or four masts used during the Napoleonic Wars, B, a Greek vessel with three rows of oars on each side of Phoenician origin, or C, a vessel primarily used by the Barbary Corsairs with three Latin rigged masts. What is a clipper? Hey. I was going to say A as well. I'll say C. A, both. Oh, Stuart's changing it. Going with C. JT is correct. Yeah, it is A. Should have stopped. I just want to be answer. different, you know? <laughs> when I tell you to buy a game, you listen. But when I tell you no. what a clipper is, you don't listen. Uh, it's always our problem when when we go against what JT says. It's never been good for us uh, in gaming. Remember Come on, that. Isaac, help me out here. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't worked uh, in any type of WKO ever. So, uh, <laughs> what's a WKO? <laughs> uh, moving on. Question number two: A frigate, F R I G A T E, is either A, a three masted vessel adaptable to Latin or square rigged sails used by Columbus, B, a three masted square rigged warship with two full decks, or C, the ship with two or more masts, both with fore and aft sails. B. B. B is correct for both of you. Congratulations. All right, I'm going to answer first this time. <laughs> All right, fair enough, fair enough. All right. Next one, Haste a Dow. Makes waste. <laughs> a Dow, which is which uh this the ship is spelled D H O W, a Dow. I might be pronouncing that wrong. Is either A, a traditional Arab sailing vessel with one or more latin sails, B, a standard vessel for trade and exploration in mid-16th century Europe of Spanish origin. Or C, the largest of Viking vessels and used as a warship? A. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a sailing ship. I don't it's know. A, a for both of you? Yeah. That is correct. You guys are, are ship, yeah, ship... Pretty ship-shaped. Ship One more. I'm, I'm impressed so far. Um, next is the galleon g-a-l-l-e-o-n a galleon is either a a greek sailing vessel with single or square sail a b a square rigged two-masted warship or c a large three or four masted multi-deck sailing vessel used by european nations during the age of exploration that's a spanish galleon right so it's got to be c yeah i was gonna say c c is correct these <laughs> are moving and finally, question number five. A ironclad is a small maneuverable warship used for patrol. B, a wooden ship of composite construction sheathed in thick iron plates. Or C, a ship armed with an iron cannon like a galley 
and propelled mainly by sail. No, it's a it's a steamship. I listen. I have seen national. Uh, no, what what's the what's the movie? <laughs> Are we getting there? Our, our old dad talk here now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, no, it's not. But it's not old. It's um, oh gosh, oh, uh, Steve Zahn and um, uh, Matthew McConaughey in it. Um, it's not national no, treasure. Fa- failure to launch. Yes, that's it. Thank Is it? You. No. No. <laughs> I was like, Isaac never gives the right answer. <laughs> Batman returns. Far from home. Do you need those answers again? I'm I'm done. I'm out. I tap oh, out. A. What did you say? It's Sahara. Which one did you pick? It's A or B. I don't even remember which uh, what the definitions were, but the ironclad was, ship is the one. That gets blown off course and then winds up all the way in the Nile with gold in it. Have you not seen this movie? What's no, going on? Never heard of it. I, I know what you're talking about. I never saw it. Oh, jeez. So, Stuart, you went with yeah. A. B. And JT is correct. Of course, he is. And final score is JT five, Stuart's three. I even had a tiebreaker ready, but that appears to have been unnecessary. Sorry, Stuart. Next time. No, I'll, I'll lose again. It's okay. We just if we pick a game on like conducting, maybe you'll get it. Yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, we want to thank you for listening to our podcast today over here at Gaming with Sidekicks. Please check out our main site uh, over at www.gamingwithsidekicks.com for game reviews, designer interviews, podcasts now, and so much more. Also follow us over on Twitter, uh, Facebook, and Instagram, especially on our Facebook page, the Gaming with Sidekicks board game community, where we discuss everything game-related and have some occasional contests on there as well. We have a current one going, so we get a few more people subscribed there. We've got a few games I'm ready to be shipping out. We know you could have been anywhere in the world tonight, but the fact that you're here with us, we just appreciate that. So thank you again to our co-host, myself, Isaac. Stuart and JT. This is us signing off as we wish you many more moments in life to play all the games you like with the people you love. Gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Absolutely. So until next time, we will see you then. Cheers. See you.